Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Level Up Cleveland. And this week, we bring you, for Halloween, Mr. Larry the Wolf. Hey. From the Manimals. <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, Brian, Thanks. Pat, it's great to see you guys. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for coming down, man. It's, this is sweet. It's absolutely my pleasure. Hell, yeah, and we got a lot to cover with you. You have one hell of a, a, a career of all kinds of stuff that you got. Do I? Hell, yes. I do. Hell, yes, I do. I was oh, very impressed. Right. Not to mention all the music you guys created. There's actually, like, two two manimal eras. Multiple phases. Yeah, yes, and stuff eras. like that. So yes. there's all kind, and plus all the other stuff. A lot of other stuff. So we got, we got books you brought, all kinds of stuff you brought for us today. All kinds. We're going to have fun. It's show and tell. I like to show you some things over the years. Uh, it's easier to show it than to talk about it and hopefully tell a few stories. Hell yeah. Because uh, I go back now uh, 40, 41, 42 years. Hell yes. And, and and if people that don't know, we've had Purgatory on here and we've had Don on here. We were just talking about Don, Don Foose, Foose before. Yeah. And, Don's and- my guy. Not to interrupt you. No, yeah, but Don's, I'm just, Don's the best. But I'm just saying, you came, you came up with all that stuff that was going on. Yes. So, so if they've already seen Don, if they've already seen Purgatory, the Manimals were all kind of a part of all that. That yes. was another band in that in that group. Because it wasn't, it wasn't like today where there's a million bands. There was just like a few you guys really like running the whole Cleveland metal scene. I mean, and and dominating, right? You know what I mean? Well, thank you. Um, it, that, and that was, and again, thank you very much. It's I, I love telling stories about those days. Now that there's enough years re, that I'm removed from it, I can look back at it uh, objectively or more objectively. Um, and because, uh, you know, when I record stuff or played shows, I, I, I always saw what we did wrong. I couldn't enjoy them. I didn't think about what we did right. <laughs> it was just difficult. So it's hard to enjoy your work, either on stage or recorded, if you're wired that way. Now I have enough years between that I can look back at it with some, Again, separation. I can I can look at it more objectively. At the time, I just didn't enjoy the ride very much, which really? is sad. No, not really. I enjoyed the time on stage. I didn't enjoy everything around it. Explain like some of the things you didn't enjoy like the most. Like what was like one of the things that sticks out that you just 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 despised? Uh, booking the shows. Oh, that part. Uh, of it. You know, I this was meant to be my artistry. And when it became too much business, uh-huh. then it starts to become not as much fun. And uh, But, so I wish I had taken more time, gotten to know more people. I'm, I'm uh, very much stick to myself. Um, but I'm getting, on a, I'm getting on a tangent here. No, it's okay. Brian, it was great in that era. We started out um, in the uh, hardcore scene of Toledo and Detroit. Oh. I was a student at the University of Toledo. You know, I, I never played music growing up. I played sports, I, but I always loved music. And um, you know, I moved from the East Coast. I'm originally from the Bronx, New York. I lived in New Jersey as a kid, and we moved to Ohio. It was supposed to be for one year. That was in 1970. Uh, so it's been a long time here. And uh, I, uh, music, comic books, horror movies, Aurora Monster Models, Famous Monsters Magazine, those were all things that were consistent, pro wrestling, those were consistent for me from where I had been. Right. Uh, it was tough to assimilate. Believe it or not, I tell a lot of people, you know, when I moved here, I was kind of the diversity here. I, spo- <laughs> right. I, I had an accent, you know, I was a different kid. I had, I, I had been with different uh, um, ethnicities and things growing up, or being a kid back east. It's a little bit different in Ohio. Correct, yep. Ohio. for sure. Um, so... 
when I went to college, I had a buddy by the name of John Steinberg, great guy, and he started uh, pushing me on, you know, the hardcore stuff. You know, like most kids of the 70s, or like many, I was one of those silly kids that gave all my money to Kiss back in the 70s, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I didn't know how to play, but I, I got a bass, and I, I learned, I, I taught myself how to play by picking up and dropping the needle on Strutter or Come On and Love Me for she 400 times. Gene was teaching you. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But my favorite bass player is is Mel Shacker. Mel Shacker of Grand Funk Railroad. He's that, my favorite. That's your but, favorite? But Gene, I saw Gene Simmons, and I, he was like this. He loved comic books. He loved Lon Chaney. He loved the Universal Monster movies. You know, he had all the and he, and music. So it was all like uh, blended together a lot of things I liked. Anyway, so fast forward, I'm in college. I have no thought of doing anything. And uh, my buddy John takes me to, uh, we start going to a couple of hardcore shows. And I love the energy, the do-it-yourself attitude. They did their own flyers. They pressed their own little seven-inch singles, booked their own shows. They weren't playing clubs. We were playing, uh, he, he built a, a club called Club Stain in Toledo, Ohio, in an old uh, abandoned uh, flooring shop. We built a stage out of two-by-fours and plywood, and then any bands that were coming through, any notable hardcore bands that were going to be playing Detroit on their way to Chicago or back to Pittsburgh, because they were skipping over Cleveland at that point. Oh, yeah, the hardcore yeah. scene was just not big here in 80, 81, 82. Um, he would get them to do an off night in Toledo at this club. And, it, and it, was, it was pretty cool. So what I loved was they had this all this energy and this attitude. But the problem was most of them couldn't play for shit. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but I loved what they were doing. Then I'd go see people who were in metal bands and, and uh, hard rock bands. And, you know, that thing was all about, well, I'm going to do a demo and we're going to get signed and we're going to tour like Van Halen. No, you're not, because most of you aren't any good. And you got to look in the mirror. I mean, we're just being real. Right. You got to look in the mirror and say, do I have what it takes? Um, so I saw both, I saw pluses and minuses in both. The plasmatics, when I saw them in Detroit, they were. Uh, Something clicked where I said, these guys have an absolutely killer rhythm section. They were great. They were like a metal band. They played Leeds, Richie Stotts, Stu Deutsch, uh, West Beach, John Bouvard. But they had Wendy Williams singing, who, God bless her, because she couldn't sing. Yeah. Yeah, but she was good for hardcore singing. But they, they did the whole thing. They blew the car up on stage. It was just, it was wild. But their rhythm section was as tight as any metal band out there. It was great. That's when I got the, I thought... I can do this, but I'd like to be at least competent and write some good songs, not just one, two, three, blah, 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 and like the typical hardcore music. Right. That's why at the time, uh, so we played with bands. We probably did six, seven shows, uh, Toledo and Detroit, from November of 82 through February of 83. And I'll show you, this is a, a copy of a flyer from the most notable of those shows from that era. This is January... What was it? Ninth of nineteen eighty-three, <laughs> Misfits, Necros, Manimals, uh, Club Stain, uh, Toledo, Ohio. I can't remember if that was their Earth AD or their Evil Live two or Evil Live tour, but uh, we got to play with Government Issue, Negative Approach, um, a few others that I can't, I can't remember the names. Fate Unknown up in Detroit, and it was a lot of fun. We played abandoned buildings um, that were clubs maybe for six months, and then they were gone. <laughs> Uh, but that's what hardcore shows were like. Yeah, right. That's where you played. But, uh, you know, one early on, it was clear. My whole thing with this was I grew up on comic books, again, in Famous Monsters Magazine and Pro Wrestling. So I had done, uh, in the early 80s, along with like this 
this uh, emergence of uh, record labels, independent record labels, and this kind of renaissance of metal and then hardcore hitting, uh, comic books started being sold to direct shops and not just on newsstands anymore. So with that, all these little independent comic labels popped up. And uh, one of them was Pacific Comics, where the Rocketeer came out of, and Dave Stevens was discovered. So I found out there was one called First Comics in uh, north of Chicago somewhere, I forget what city, and I drew up some, I never had any formal training, but I could draw a little bit. I drew a character, and it was Manimal. And it was a, a, a human, half-man, half-beast, hybrid. Again, it's homage to uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Island of Lost Souls from 1932, which is, of course, an adaptation of the book by H.G. Wells, Island of Dr. Moreau, which has been remade many times, never as good as the original. And this was a, a human being, kind of an anti-hero, kind of a dirty Harry meets Wolverine, had a mohawk like uh, West Beach and Wendy Williams. But with, with, with animals, you know, humans are a puny species. We really are. Yeah. I mean, we, we, were, we were prey on this planet. We're not big like gorillas. We're not strong like a bull. We're not fast like a cheetah. We're soft. We have no, yeah. no armor. We, we were prey. Yeah, we're not built to sustain, you know, to, yeah. uh, for cold weather. It was really the development of our voice box, which allowed us to have, you know, the advantage of language. Right. And that separated us. Um, but this was this, this uh, again, kind of a dirty Harry meets Wolverine. And I did this set of pages, of rough pages. I inked some of my pencils. And I took it to this guy named Joe Staten at First Comics. And he was, you know, he was very kind to me. He gave me this mixed review. He said, well, your anatomy is good. Your composition is great. But he said, but your backgrounds and your inking is all very raw. You need to go work on that. So it was kind of a mixed review. So I come back, and, I'm, and I knew. I knew I needed formal training on that if it's something I really wanted to pursue. But I came back, and I was looking at it, and something clicked. I said, okay, I'm going to these hardcore shows. These guys can't play. They're not proficient. But shit, I can play as well as any of them. Uh, I looked at it, and I thought, what if I had a band with three of these characters that I drew. That might work. I think there's something there. So that's where it all came out of. I just, I decided I was going to have a band that was going to have it. Because, of course, I loved bands like, you know, early Alice Cooper. Sure. there was. I the, loved Kiss. There was a little bit of this already out there, but it wasn't yeah. like it is today yeah. where you got bands like Mushroom Head who go to the, I, oh, mean, yeah. I mean, but. Great band. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, but like. You guys were first. I mean, this was like you guys were doing this a long time ago and, and, and creating the character, whole yeah. thing of it, too. Yeah. I mean, first, I don't know, but we were early. We definitely were early. I will say we were always one of the first of one of the things that was very intentional on my part was to blend metal and hardcore. Yeah. Because, and, and I'll throw in there, again, the Cramps had a great image. And they were that dark, I don't even call it Psycho Billy, uh, Horror Billy, I don't know what you call it, what genre it is, but they were cool. They were creepy, they had the image. I saw them after Brian Gregory left. And, uh, and then I saw the Misfits. And uh, the Misfits, it's funny, because at that time, you were either kind of an East Coast or West Coast punk. Right. And they would get heckled in the back, of course, from 50 feet away, <laughs> uh, they'd get called the Kiss Fits. And I'd say, but that's the shit that I love that they're doing. They have an image. Like, they didn't, like, some of the hardcore kids that get, you know, they're pretentious. They were there not for the music. They were there for the, you know, lifestyle. Uh, and I said, you guys are out of your mind. They're cool. They're different. And they had songs. And they had a great singer. So, but there was, there was potential to see things there. And that was around the time where Kiss stopped being Kiss. 
know, they put out unmasked and, and just songs I didn't care about. And um, so I saw there was a, a, an opening for something that I felt, well, I, there's always room for something for another one, right? And somebody else who has an image. There wasn't anything I really liked at that time that I saw that had that in metal. Um, everybody looked the same to me in metal. Yeah. I mean, I'm not ripping anybody. That's just, it, it's what it looked like. Um, there was a standard uniform, kind of, what it was becoming. Um, and it was two important records I heard at the time. Uh, it came out at the same time. Uh, Iron Maiden, after they replaced Paul Deanna with uh, Dickinson, and they had Number of the Beast, and the Misfits' Walk Among Us album came out at the same time. And, and I liked both a lot, but the Walk Among Us album I thought was just a spectacular masterpiece. But I liked things about the Iron Maiden as well, and Motorhead and stuff like that. So, again, I saw that I was very intentional that we started, when we were playing these hardcore shows, of course, these are kids from Detroit coming down to Toledo, and we were playing Detroit as well, because Toledo's kind of a suburb of Detroit. They follow the Lions and all that. And we would play our four or five originals. We'd wear our f funny outfits, although it was hard. My, my, my look was very primitive at the time, Brian, and the other two guys really weren't on board with the look. Oh, really? Oh no, that's always been that's always been having to convince people on that. Yeah, the, the first guitar player, great guy, but he shows up the first thing and he's got a uh, uh, referee shirt on. I said, "What the hell is that? <laughs> what, we calling a game today? What is this?" <laughs> oh, it's okay. All right, whatever. Let's it's, let's just go do it. So but then eventually he warmed up to it, and but it was hard to get people to buy into it. But we always got a reaction. Always got a reaction. So we would play our four or five fast songs. I used to work at a print shop at the university, so I'd get these roll tubes, and then I'd get all the punch things from the punch machine, the little little circles. Yeah. We'd fill them. John, who's a drummer, would load up whatever explosive stuff in it. We'd do four or five original songs. We'd go out, and we'd say, okay, we're going to finish with whatever. We'd, I didn't say anything. John was... We're going to finish. We'd close with like a cover of Strutter or Come On and Love Me. We'd blow off these things. All of a sudden, these kids would come racing up to the front of the stage with Motorhead shirts on and Judas Priest shirts on. It's like, oh, it's not just punk. We're getting other kids who like metal. So you're doing the crossover that, thing. Yes. So that was my real objective at the time with the band was to have the energy of punk and the attitude and the do-it-yourself uh, uh, process rather than waiting for somebody else to find us. Yeah, which definitely is what you guys were. I mean, that's what when you guys first come out, that's what you guys are. There's definitely that t that super punk kind of hardcore tone, but then there's that heavy metal stuff. That there's, there's the heavy metal guitar in there. There's a lot of stuff that that, that makes it feel metal. Sure. But at the same time, going back to that hardcore feel, that that kind of energy that. You guys were that were coming. It was coming off the music. That's what it was. That's what it was. And at the time, there wasn't really anybody else doing that because you know when I mean not not I'm talking about locally more so than anything though. Right after that, a lot of a lot of it came out. But right yes. then, right when it first happened with the Manimals, I think it was more of a heavy metal a, a, a community here. A lot of heavy metal going yes. on in Cleveland. So yes. you guys kind of like were a little different than everything that was going on. Plus, you guys had the costumes and the and the characters and everything. Now, Destructor, they kind of had their character thing too, but mm -hmm. they didn't go all out with the costumes as much and go cr as, cr as crazy as what the Manimals did. Where it was kind of like you, you guys really were almost like it was like Halloween every every time you guys yeah. played, almost right. Oh, thank you. I, I sure, yeah, it really, it really was. was and, you know? we, and intentionally, we didn't play very often because I didn't want to just keep wearing it out. 
you know, I wanted each show to be, uh, when we started playing Cleveland in, uh, it was June of 84. And I'll tell you how that comes about. So I'm playing these hardcore shows. We got offered to put me on a uh, sampler out of Mystic Records. I think they're out of San Francisco. They did a uh, fanzine. Those, those were big in those days. So we were on a, a, a hardcore sampler, 40 bands, 40 minutes, 40 songs. It was called We Got Power, Party, or Go Home. <laughs> there were bands like Dr. No on it, Red Cross. So oh, really? what I would call like uh, the, the level B hardcore bands time. It wasn't the level A, which was Circle Jerks and Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and the Misfits and Government Approach. We were that solid second, third level. But we were on a record. It was kind of a cool thing. Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't going to go any further with who I was playing with. They were great guys, but they weren't going, they didn't have the metal aspect I was looking for. They weren't going to play leads or six-minute songs or five-minute songs or epic things like that that I wanted to do just beyond the hardcore. So uh, two buddies of mine from high school, they were had, in like a parallel universe, they were playing some songs here. They had gone on, they had a band called Fury. And they had played, I think it was a place called The Deputy Dog uh, in Cleveland somewhere. So I came home and I reconnected with those guys and uh, they were playing and... Um, you know, they showed me the pictures of what they were doing, and they looked like what my buddy uh, Orlock calls a bus stop. You had a tall guy, a short guy, a fat guy, a skinny guy, a dark hair guy. Like, it, it, there was no cohesiveness to it. All right, and they showed me these pictures. They played two shows, and they played for like 20 people, you know, friends and family, basically, at some little place. Okay, that's very nice. Everybody starts somewhere. But I said, guys, I, I've been on a record now, which seemed like a big deal at the moment, back when I'm 20 years old. And I've been playing for a couple hundred people. Um, why don't we give try what I'm doing? Ah, we don't want to do that. They thought it was silly too. But they had lost their uh, guitar player and their bass player. Or no, I'm sorry, the singer and their bass player. They were a traditional five-piece. And they said, well, why don't you come and join us and do that? So I tried. It didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it just didn't <laughs> go anywhere. You know, I, it, would, it was one of those things. I would, I would drive into Toledo to a practice spot here. And... Uh, I'd be, I'd get here 15 minutes late, habitually, you know, but I was driving two hours. They were driving 15 minutes. Yeah, it's a big difference. I'd load in, I'd come in, I'd say, okay, I'm ready to go. I would then listen to a half hour, 45 minutes of tuning wars between the two <laughs> guitar players or your volume's too high. You know, just pissy shit. Just, I don't like pettiness and, and drama and shit. It's like, you know, I, this isn't working. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not here to waste my time with this stuff. And the songs were, you know, I, one of the songs they wanted me to sing was, was like, look into my eyes. Like, why don't you look into my eyes? Then you will see I'm not so wise. I can't sing that shit. It's garbage. I can't. This, this is garbage. You can't do it. Um, but I tried. So I said, I've tried your thing. I'll try my thing. And they both got on board. And they were they were good. You know, drummer, dark, he could play Double foot pedal forever. Oh, really? Know, he was a yeah. beast. Uh, the guitar player at the time, the Wraith, could write great rhythms. And was, but they were very much like Merciful Fate, except Judas Priest. That was a perfect complement to what I was interested All in. All the riff stuff. Yes. There's, it's a, that could fill out the songs that I was I was writing at the time and the themes, which were all, you know, I, I wanted to have very, a very definite, cohesive theme of, it wasn't going to be like Kiss that's going to like write about girls. and this, you know, I write songs that are angry. Right. That's, I can't help that. I don't try to write metal songs. I don't try to write punk songs. I try to write good songs with hooks and then play them aggressively. 
Well, and you're kind of this is kind of like a horror show in, in a way. It's not just Halloween, but it's 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 supposed to be kind of the scary type of thing. If you're singing about chicks in love, and with this image, it would look it would be kind of ridiculous. I think it would get to a point where like who's gonna it, it wouldn't work, and, and and you would people like you would be like, well, that sucks. It wouldn't, so it, it wouldn't be authentic. Yeah, it wouldn't be real. And that's not for where you come from anyways. You're right. That's not, it wouldn't work. I wrote from a viewpoint of being angry. Well, that's it. And you, I, and that's, were were you angry? That. Were you angry at the time? Would you say, would you, would you say you were pretty pissed off? Also? I'm always fucking angry. Still? Yes. Still has? <laughs> Good. Yes, Good. Brian. I, uh, it's, you know, I'm less angry than I was, but I can't help that. That's what pisses you off the most? What really pisses you off the most? Would you say like, what really is the most humans just in general? Humans, except for you and Pat. You guys are good guys. We're all guys. right. We're yeah, you guys are great God. guys. No, I mean, I, I don't... Look, I'm a big animal person. Uh, I know people a lot on the vegan thing now and the vegetarian thing. I've been a, I haven't eaten meat since... Uh, I haven't eaten meat in 45 years. Oh, wow. Uh, it's just not my thing. I, you know, I... I, I uh, no animal has ever betrayed me. Animals, you know, a dog growls you, you know, it doesn't like you. Dog comes up to you, it's genuine. Cat, the same way. Humans... I've never been betrayed by an animal, by humans all the fucking time. Yeah. You know, but that's because, you know, humans are flawed. Yeah. So, yeah, stupidity, ignorance, cognitive dissonance, uh, uh, lack of critical thinking, uh, willful ignorance. Those are all the, you know. Yeah, those are <laughs> all the number the one. Shit. Those, are, yeah, those are all things that irritate me. So I can find that all around every day, <laughs> things to be angry about. But I'm also very grateful in life for all the good things that happen. And usually there were a lot of good things that happened. Um but to your point earlier, we did have, we came out uh, with the shows where, you know, I, I don't know if anybody, a lot of people had banners and scrims and stuff behind, and that, and that was great. That was yeah. great. We didn't. You know, we had a three-dimensional, like a mini, like kind of a kiss sign. We had a big fla- you know, logo behind. It was made out of plywood and flashing. Then we had cages. So we had giant seven-foot cages with bases that had were underlit that we'd bust out of at the beginning of shows, and we did flash pots and all that shit. I wanted to see a show, and 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 so Halloween every night we played. Yeah, it kind of was. No shit. Um, and people who remember those shows, who were at those shows, uh, Pat, when we played together back on June fourth of nineteen eighty-four, we didn't have the cages back then because they wouldn't have fit in the pop shop. No. But we did play together, Manimals and Tempest, all the way back almost, uh, what, 39 and a half years ago. Good, that's good. Yeah, so you bring it up. So, yeah, Pat was in Tempest, the, a band that was doing, you know, pretty, they were pretty popular at that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tim Burris was in that band from, he, he's in now in old school. He was the drummer of that band, there, if anybody knows who Tim is. And Pat was the original guitar player, right? You were the first one, right? And, uh, yeah, played with you guys once, and that was funny. You and. He's, he's, yeah, he, and, he mentions it, and you got a you got uh, the flyer. Uh, here is where is it here? Okay, you're like I think it was this day. It's like yeah. There's the flyer on that is uh, August fourth uh, of nineteen eighty four. Of course, That's now, unbelievable. now Pat, I don't have Tempest on here because I I do everything through Chris Andrews. Chris Andrews was a great early supporter. I did every I booked everything through him. He, he was a great guy, great supporter from the outset. He got what we were trying to do really did and so he wouldn't always tell me i would just always say make sure we play with the best bands out there so whether it was tempest uh destructor early on uh shadow of fear the guns uh later on boulder but you know whoever uh, uh ringworm whoever it was they get on the shows with us put us bring us the best bands to play with oh, and yeah. uh i will uh, 
You'll notice that thing. I know my buddy Trevor with American Werewolves has uh, has gone on to use the Lon Chaney image. That's the Jack Pierce makeup. It's a promo shot from the 1941 uh, Wolfman. Uh, and, uh, but we used it about 20 years before they started to use it. But Trevor's my buddy. He's a good guy, and I'm glad he keeps that image going. Yeah. I mean, you have an incredible memory of all this stuff. It's it's it, the way you're able to recall dates, times, people. It's just it's it's the best. I mean, if everybody was you, I would have the easiest job. Well, I don't drink, I don't eat meat, so I remember a lot of shit. Did you always not drink, and did you always have the the? Did you always was, was it always that way, or did was there? Yes, a, sir. Always. Yes, sir. That's amazing. Uh, you know, some guys are built to show. I'm built to go, and that shit just gets in my way. That other stuff. I no kidding. Yeah. yeah. So, so right from the start, you're getting into the music in the most the, the the time where musical heavy metal, especially, there's more debauchery and more crazy shit going on at that point. And through that whole entire thing, you were like, no nonsense. Correct. Pretty much. Now, was that was that was that the attitude you came with? Was like kind of a no nonsense thing where. The, even in the band thing, where you were you kind of like you expected a certain thing, and then in, in when I, yes, when I'm playing, and 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 Brian, maybe this is why I didn't enjoy it the way I could have or should have, but I but I don't regret. It. Actually, no, I did what was appropriate for me. I did what was authentic. Uh, it's the famous Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts. It's the man whose face is marred with blood and sweat, uh, blood and sweat and mud that has gotten into the arena, and. That's what I always treated it like. It was business. Yeah. The 40 minutes, the 50 minutes, the hour on stage was great. But it was all business for me. Um, I was there to put on the best possible show. I wanted every other band to be at their absolute best, and I wanted to eat them all alive while they were at their best. Right. And if, I... someone, could sh- and if someone could blow us off, God bless them. Go do it. But let's go find out. And I hoped everybody had a great, that's why I always told Chris, I want to be with, put us with the best bands. You got some band coming up? That's good. That's good. Put them on with us. Let's go. Let's yeah. make it a great show for everybody. And we'll all, it's like competition. You know, that's why I love, I love athletics because it's a pure meritocracy. When you, the arts are wonderful. I love art. Whether it's the theater, the movies, uh, you know, painting, drawing, music. Music is art. There's good art and there's bad art. The problem with art is it's subjective. So, a lot of people don't look in the mirror and decide, do I have what it takes? And they're not real. They're not realistic with themselves. They right. look outward. They rather than looking inward. Um, I was always focused on us doing our best possible job, and that was it. Anything that got in the way, I didn't have any, any time for. I got you. Whether it was, I, was any, no, nobody, I didn't want anybody drinking. I'm not trying to be a dick. That's just. No, I got you. You know, if they want to play funny games, join a cover band, join, you know, Go do that. You know, you, you'll, you can drink a lot. Or if you want to go do it and, and do this for, for fun and nonsense, and that's okay. And some people need that. Or maybe some people need that to overcome anxiety. I don't know. Um, I treated it like I was getting on the field or getting in the mat or getting in the ring or, or getting in the cage. That's how it was. It was We were there to do business. So did you see, did you, did you kind of see other bands as just pure competition in some ways where you were just like, that was these guys were setting bars and you just had to like, set the new bar each time like that was the idea was the uh, animals were always going to be like that was because what i guess what i'm asking is this what drove you not that? so much what drove you that what was the driving force is it just the love of music you wanted to create yes. this music and that was the only thing that really drove you through this whole thing yeah i didn't pay attention to other bands i mean i don't mean that in a disrespectful no, 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 way uh, i just uh I, I i'm i'm more introverted uh 
I don't go out a lot. I did at the time we started playing Cleveland. The bands I had heard of, I know were the big bands. Time was a band called Snake Rock, and 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 who's the the fella is the main guy is Snake, and then Breaker. Those were the two I'd heard about, and the other two guys were telling me, oh, these are the big bands here, because I didn't know what was going on in the Cleveland scene. Right. When I saw what was going on, I was excited. This is great. There's a lot of things going on. Breaker was a great band, great band. Uh, Snake Rock. It, it's funny. We played a show at the pop shop, and uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know, guys from Snake Rock came to see you. I said, oh, okay, that's very nice. Thank you. And he said, you don't understand. They don't go to see anybody. They just heard you guys were that good. <laughs> And you were that different. And I got to be friends with him. Great guy. Very nice guy. Very nice guy. Very talented musician. And I became uh, good friends with uh, Ian Shipley from Breaker. Uh, Ian was kind of my uh, connection with the, the, the music people. Yeah, right. And, and Chris Andrews. Chris right, Andrews. Right. Chris always saw what we were trying to do, what I was trying to do. But I didn't, I didn't look at others because like, I didn't feel like anybody was doing what we were doing. You know, so there was plenty of room for everybody. And there were a lot of great bands at that time. Uh, you know, we got this book. You know, it's like show and tell. This is this, Deanna Adams had put out this Rock and the Cleveland Connection. I'm sure you've seen yeah, this Yeah, we've one. had somebody. Yeah. You know, I. Somebody else had that. Out of nowhere. This, you know, she throws us in. She, I think she refers to it as like the big four. Oh, yeah, there you There's are. that guy. You know, a little more hair, a little <laughs> leaner. Uh, you know, I think she referred to the big four as being Breaker, Shock Paris, Manimals, Destructor. But there were a whole bunch of other great bands. There was Wretch, there was uh, uh, Tempest, there was, I got to say, Black Death. Oh, yeah. The first time we played at the Pop Shop, the first show we played, uh, Chris said, I'm going to put you on with these guys, Black Death. I think he said, I think it'll be a cool, a cool show. You guys will mix with them really well. So I'm always grateful. Because I got to tell you, uh, I don't think there were many bands. We we opened, I think, two shows, one, two shows, and then we never opened after that because nobody wanted us to. Because <laughs> yeah, so. you guys are too good, you think? Is that what it was? Uh, you guys were going out there and, and, and setting the bars, and then they got to come after well, that? There was just everybody. Uh, I mean, come on. You can say it now looking back. I mean, it we, sounds like that's probably what was happening, right? We drew well. Yeah. So it was we drew well, and, and people were curious to see what was going on. And uh, we were the only ones that would play. We, we've played a Friday night at the pop shop. We played a Saturday night. Nobody else did that. I know that sounds like trite now and not very, but at that time it was a very, in Cleveland, it was a very strong line between who showed up on a Friday night for shows, which was more the punk hardcore shows, and on Saturday, which was the metal show. Right. I told Chris very frankly, I want to play both nights. I don't give a shit how it goes over it, because don't worry about it. We will draw. We will pull people from both from both groups and try to blend this thing. And sure enough, that's what we did. So uh, one of the uh, shows we played down there was with uh, Sam Hain. Uh, oh, shit. Which Glenn Dad's. Yeah, they, we played. <laughs> I got. Uh, I had stayed in casual contact with Glenn after we played uh, with the Misfits in 83. And uh, I knew he was leaving to do a different band. And uh, they played one show, I think, in New York as a, a showcase thing. And then the first night of their first tour in 84, uh, Season of the Dead tour, was at, at the Pop Shop. That was in September. Actually, they just played here. Uh, Danzig just played here last week, yeah, almost 39 years to the date of that first show. So I got a chance. Uh, my, my buddy, Sean Vanek, the, the great Sean Vanek, who, who played the last several shows with me, and was very instrumental in getting the anthology out. He had me down, and I, I, I talked with Steve Zing, who was in Sam Hain at that time. I didn't get a chance to talk to Glenn, but it was interesting. They played almost 39 exactly years to the date. So that was a show uh, at the Pop Shop early on, and a lot of people don't even know that that band ever came through here. 
So you guys were you guys were that was and that because that was at a time where when bands would tour, they would take on the local band and yes. th- that's who would open up and they yeah. just would tour themselves and they didn't have to have a and that so you guys were getting involved in a lot of that stuff at the time. That was where you guys were really you were opening up for all these big bands well, that were coming through. We not at that point we weren't. We were working our way upstairs to the to the Agora Ballroom. This was the old Agora. Oh, oh, the original yeah. one that burned down. And, in fact, the last show, the last show at the Pop Shop underneath, and it might have been the last show period in the building, was October of uh, 84 was us with, uh, we had, I think it was Destructors' first show. And oh. they opened for us that night. And it was a great show. They did great. We did great. It was a great show. It was a good, it was a good pairing. And then the, the uh, Agora burned down that Tuesday or Wednesday. Wow. We had been booked to play upstairs uh, with Merciful Fate on their first U.S. tour. Oh, so I have God. the ads, and it's a shame, because that was that was a big disappointment, because they were they were hot. They were coming through. So I have the the, the, the ads with, you know, uh, Merciful Fate's logo, and then with very special guest manuals with our logo on it. We're so excited to play that show. The Agora burns down. Um, the show gets moved somewhere. Uh, Slayer gets added on as an opener. So it was Merciful Fate, Manimals, plus Slayer, little band that people might have heard of. <laughs> it gets bumped again. Uh, Merciful Fate cancels. Oh. So then we blew the show off, and they ended up, uh, I think it was two mu- or a month later, coming and playing with Metallica at the Variety oh. Theater on that show. Wow. So that was the show that we had worked towards. And Chris said, I've got a perfect band for you guys to play. He says, I'm waiting for the right band to put, the right national or international band to put you upstairs with. And he said, trust me, we'll get the right one. And Merciful Fate would have been in it. It's a shame. Wow. That would have been, that's the show that got away that I wish we would have played. Well, hell yeah, too. Like you said, they were just taking off at that point. Yep. And, and uh, it would have the king. It would have been great. <laughs> that would have been cool, got, man. Got, got very close. But it, unfortunately, some people do think it happened and it didn't. So, so real quick, so... So you would say that, like, even though in the '80s it was like it was like crazy time for a lot of people, the Manimals were more about the business part of it. Like, it's not not the business end, but all business, going out there, doing their job, doing it correctly, not going out there fucked up and drunk and high, falling all over the place, but just like there was a regiment. There was like a yes, it was like a workplace almost in well, some ways. Well, we all we all. We all worked out, and we all worked out together, yeah, and we go over and, and play together. Good shape and everything. Well, uh, it was just it was it was just who we were. Yeah, you know, yeah we didn't yeah. come up playing uh, music. You know, we just we had, that was who we were. I got you. And got you. and and it was interesting because um, this is a this is a cool book. I wanted to show you. It's called Cross Over the Edge, where hardcore punk and metal collide. Again, what do they have here? Look at those guys. That's the that's Peabody's '85 when we had to find a new place to start to play. Destructor opened that show. Too. This was after Great the Agora show. burned down. Yes. Great show too. But they had in here top 50 crossover records that are essential, and they got some cool bands like you know DRI, Agnostic Front, Corrosion of Conformity, uh, Suicidal Tendencies, and oh, what do I see? Manimals, Blood is the Harvest. Uh, I think now that there's been t- some time, people understand what we were doing. And it was definitely trying to blend and cross over metal and punk as a as a hybrid. Yeah. And there were other bands that floated. In fact, the first I'm going to tell you the first band I ever heard that did that, and hold I think on, they did on. it unintentionally. One second. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. 
All We're right. taking a break? We are. Brian, I'm on a roll. No, when we come back, you're going to tell us who that first band is. Okay. We'll we come back in a couple minutes here with Larry the Wolf from the Manimals. A couple minutes when we come back. You're listening to Level Up Cleveland. What's up, everybody? This is Don Foose from One Life All In, The Spud Monsters, Run Devil Run, Lifeline, and my solo band, Foose. I'm coming at you live to let you know I have a new book out called Motivate Me. It's a memoir of inspirational quotes, stories, and life lessons. This book takes you through my life and shows how I've handled adversity firsthand by the inspiration of others. If you lack enthusiasm but want to make goals in life and get after them, then this book is for you. To order, go to my website at foosforlife.com. F-O-O-S-E-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. Foosforlife.com. I'd like to send a big shout-out to Big Bry and Pat the Producer at Level Up Cleveland for making a platform for hometown musicians and artists like myself to promote our bands and projects. This is Don Foos signing off for the Level Up Cleveland podcast. Peace out. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. It's all right. And we're back with Larry the Wolf here hey. with the Manimals. We were just about to tell us we were in the middle of the story, but we had to take a break. Sorry. Um, yeah, the first band that I heard that I think unintentionally, maybe intentionally, but they, they stumbled into the what I think is like the first crossover between hard rock, metal, and punk was a band called Stars. Uh you know, they had Fallen Angel and Boys in Action and, and Detroit Girls and uh, Nightcrawler and those songs. They did a song called X-Ray Specs on, I think it's their third album. I think it was on Attention Shoppers. And you can definitely hear the um, the uh, Steve Jones guitar attack and the Johnny Rotten-esque vocals that uh, Michael Lee Smith does on that. And it, but it has like a bridge and a chorus that are uh, uh, very rock and rolly, but the verses sound very kind of hardcore. Sounds like the Sex Pistols. It's a great song, and that was the first time I heard something that I thought that I think they intentionally blended those two. They were going for something here, but it was a one-off. Yeah, so they only had one song like that. But you feel yeah. like now, now, did you think that at that time that that had an effect on you? Uh, just a good song. But years later, I recall that said, so I think that's what those guys were after. So it's something that, something that you, you guys kind of shared, something yeah. that you both kind of like thought did the same, sure. that like we both sure. were trying to do that. Sure. So that's, I, you know, I do kind of find that interesting, though, that, you you know, like I, I, I guess I would just tend to think that a lot of times with this crossover stuff, it happened more organically mm-hmm. than it did intentionally, where you're saying, no, no, we did it. We really set out. I Like it, there was a plan in my head to kind of bring them together. And then even you even went as far as to say that, you were even trying to bring the crowd that way. It wasn't just the music itself that you were actually just trying to cross over, but you were actually trying to cross the people over. Also, these people that yes. you were like, you were like, I'll play Friday and Saturday yes. because, fuck it, I'm not, I, I don't need one day. I, I want both days, and I'll bring them both to us. Yes, and that was from the very beginning we started playing. Because, I mean, Detroit is a is a rock and roll town. It's yeah. the home of Grand Funk, and the MC Five, and Iggy and the Stooges, and all that. Uh, Alice Cooper, I mean, they like they just like rock and roll. 
it doesn't whatever genre. That's why it's such a cool city. They just knew we were playing stuff. When we fired up a Kiss cover on it, they'd lose their minds. Right. So they, and uh, again, I, I saw I liked both types of music. So I saw the things being pigeonholed into one thing or the other, and I said, well, no, we can... You see early pictures of our shows, and you'll see a, a kid with a Metallica shirt next to a kid with a Dead Kennedy shirt or, right. or, or, or a Black Flag shirt. Well, that's what we were doing at that time. We, were, they, we, we appealed to a broader base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, and, and I just... I'm a fan of good music. I always take the approach, I think, of 85% of music of any genre is of utter crap. There's about ten percent that's good, and there's about five percent that's special. That gets me hundred. You know, and 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 the great artists like Elvis Presley or the Beatles or something like that, they manage to flip those numbers and they do five percent, which is absolutely. They're in that one where eighty-five percent of what they do is absolutely spectacular, and most don't. You know. Yeah. Um, so. And at that era, uh, again, we pl we played Cleveland. It was the uh, and we probably uh, started doing more. Uh, gravitating towards more metallic sound. Um, more of a metal sound, kind of. Yeah, this thing came out at that time. A lot of people know this one. thing's been floating oh, around. Oh, yeah, man. You see that picture? Every, you, you, if you're from Cleveland and you don't, haven't seen that image, I don't know where, where Rock you've been under. <laughs> Seriously. Now, now, you know, one thing that you were, so we, we kind of discussed all the stuff that went on, but, like, not, not long after you, though, there was... Now the bands are starting to form. Like you started to see, not, it wasn't that long later. Spud Monsters started coming around, and now they're kind of a, a crossover band. Yep. And yep. So, so you it, it, you were you were kind of like the first ones locally to really go there. But it didn't take long to catch on, and then other people started kind of to to, to join in. And and uh, yeah, I, and it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, the Spud Monsters, the early early, the Joe Gizmo. The, they opened our last two shows of that Blood is the Harvest era. Okay. Uh, they were both at a place called Diversions. Uh, Brooklyn, yeah, I remember, yeah, Diversions, sure. And um, we had the cages set up, and, and uh, that was long before Don was in the band. And um, uh, they played those last two. Those were our last two shows of that era before a very long hiatus. So the last two, that was October of uh, 87 and January of 88. Was the last of that lineup. So there are distinct phases. There's the hardcore uh, era where it's me, a fellow by the name of Tom Carson and John Steinbrook. There's the Bloods the Harvest era, which is the one that's in Cleveland from '84 to early '88, and that's myself, uh, Dark, and uh, the Wraith. And then we went into a long hiatus after that. So what what happened there? Why why, why do you the hiatus? Life happens type thing, or uh, where other things take precedent? Somewhat. Uh, places to play were becoming difficult. Um, drummer, dark left, uh, interesting guy. He went, uh, a few years later, he went back to uh, medical school, became a doctor, uh, very intelligent Smart drummer. Guy. Yeah. Very intelligent guy. And, uh, he wanted to do that. And that was, that was great. Um, I wasn't happy with a lot of things that were going on, uh, within the band. And, um, uh, it, it's interesting because at the time when, when dark left, and sometimes you mentioned, Brian, over the years, I've never asked anybody to leave. And I've never kicked anybody out. And anybody who left, I gave them an invitation to come back at some point or another. So everybody leaves for different reasons. And, and, and that's... You don't hold it against anybody. No, that's good for them. You know, and I'm grateful for whatever time and, and they were able to spend in with me. Um, but when Dark left, 
uh, you know, I did ask him to come back, and he and the guitar player didn't want him back. And uh, actually, uh, we met with uh, Matt Flammable. Oh, Destructor's drummer. So we met, Matt, Matt contacted me, and we met, this is, this is sometime in uh, early 88, and uh, he, we met over at uh, Chi-Chi's at Westgate when I used to be open, and we talked that night, and uh, Matt's a great guy, and, uh, but unfortunately, the guitar player at the time didn't want, didn't want him. Didn't want uh, Matt? Didn't want Matt, and, uh, and, uh, uh, but he also didn't want the old guy. <laughs> so, so it became very clear he didn't want to play but he really didn't want me to play either. So I had my, my uh, that was the same year, my, my, uh, my first, uh, my oldest daughter was born, and I had stuff going on. And um, again, I love music, but I was never going to go all in on music. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be one of these people. I see a lot of people that are, uh, they've, they've gone all in. And then they're not happy with their careers. They didn't put time into their career, their own development, into their families, into their education, whatever it happened to be. I'm not going to be that guy. So I was never going to be all in. Um, and it's very tough for me to function in the band sometimes because it, you do have to be collaborative. And uh, unfortunately, uh, ego and insecurities get in the way a lot of times. I'm just about doing good music. Yeah. And playing cool shows, and unfortunately, you know, not everybody's always aligned on that. So, we went into a hiatus that was completely unintentional on my part. But I just uh, focused on my career and my family. Um, I had nobody really to play with, and I wasn't going to push to find people to play with. Um, you were okay at that point with kind of like saying, "Oh, that was a cool time of my life," and and that that, or was there always something? in you that kind of said, eh, one day, one day we'll revisit that, but right now I got other shit to take care of. Somewhat, yes. Um, family is always number one. I was telling Bill Peters, I think I mentioned to you and Pat earlier, a few months back I did a show with Bill Peters and he asked me, he says, hey, you know, in, his, in, in Bill's voice, <laughs> hey, you wish you ever played more shows or so more. I said, of course I do, Bill. I said, but you know what? I got the best kids, I got the best family in the world. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. Um, I would like to have played more and like to have kept it going. It wasn't going to happen with the, uh, the team that was in place at that time. That was very clear to me. Um, but I always did feel like there was unfinished business because I never felt like it, it, we had ever accomplished what I was hoping to be. Yeah, We got close, but that lineup and that era, it was good. It was a great era. It was a great era to be with all these great bands in Cleveland. Yeah, good time. Metal. Oh, yeah. You know, it, was, it was great, and there was a lot of energy. And it, that was starting to wane a little bit, 87, 88. And, um, uh, but I always felt like I had unfinished business. So sure, yeah. So that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, what prompts it to where you say, all of a sudden it's time to fire up the, the, the amps again and let's do this thing? Well, I had been writing on and off over the years. And just stuff, I, I'd, I'd be angry about something or annoyed. So, you know, I'd have a hook in my head and I'd... I'd, I'd uh, yeah, that stuff never goes away, really, right? Like, so, yeah. so, so the songs kept coming to you, even sure. though you weren't playing. Sure, yeah, lyrics. Yeah. I get a hook here, or a hook there, or I get a line here that I like. Did you I even? Did you? I mean, real quick, did you? Like through this time where the hiatus is in, in it, and it's a long hiatus. I mean, we're not oh, yeah. talking about a year or two. Um, 
was all that constantly happening? And were you documenting anything like along the way? Like, oh, that's a cool riff. Oh, that's a cool lyric. And just like jotting it down so that one day maybe you could revisit. Or was this just stuff that was coming and you were just like not really paying attention? I wasn't paying too much attention to it. I, I wasn't intentional at any point with that. I, was, I wasn't I, trying to write anything. I got just, you. I'd hear something once in a while and would trigger it. And um, But what happened was, Brian, I, you know, the internet starts hitting around 95, 96. I get contacted by a guy by the name of Mark Kennedy who was, uh, he had put together a Misfits database and he knew we had played with them and we had some connection with them. And uh, he put this uh, site together called Misfits Central and he contacted me on email. That's why my, 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 uh, my email is still an AOL. It's the same one I have since 96. Uh, I blew my mind because he said, do you know there are like three or four Manimals fan sites out on the internet. I said, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell this is. I said, just people who, who, what do you mean? And there was somebody in uh, South America, there was somebody over in Germany, and a couple in the United States, and they were these very primitive animals, uh, fan sites, I guess. They had my lyrics in there, they had, you know, covers of the, some images they had right. gotten, some I had never even seen. And it, it just absolutely blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. Now, at the same time, um, he contacted me. He said, you know, uh, Jerry and Doyle from the Misfits, are they've won the, the rights to perform and tour with the name. They're looking for a singer. Uh, so long story short, we got in contact. It wasn't going to work out because I wasn't going to go be a paid, you know, hired gun. Yeah, right. And, and you know, at this point, I, I my, my career is going well kids, my wife, I'm not going to give up to go do that now. Right. Would it have been a great fit? It would have been a great fit. Um, but uh, I did do one show with them. I did a couple songs uh, when they played the Odeon on their first Resurrection Tour in May of 96. Um, they said, come on out and we'll, we'll do some songs together. And it was great. It was a lot of fun to be on stage with them. And there were a lot of people that came up after me and they knew who, they, who I was. And I, again... My mind was completely blown, Brian, because I felt like this was stuff I had done years ago, and I thought, nobody cares. Who's going to remember me? Yeah, I said, nobody cares. I, I, I think our stuff was pretty good, but I'm very realistic about it. Did I ever write a great song? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Somebody else will have to figure that out. I think you guys wrote some pretty good shit, man. Uh, thank you. For, uh, thank really. you. I appreciate Hell that. Hell yeah. But I, I always look like look at it like maybe that was the level of, of popularity or... or lack of popularity that my level of songwriting and talent and our ability to play, maybe that was exactly where we were meant to be. I always say we were such an underground band. We were like almost subterranean. <laughs> right. But what kept coming back were people who kept coming up to me after the, the internet came out. I'd start getting email from all over the world. Not a lot. I'd get one trickle in here from Spain. I'd get one trickle in from Peru. I'd get one trick, couple in from, Ger left from Germany, a few from Italy. I'd get people from around and say, said, I heard of you. I've had this record. I've always wanted to see you. And just want to know how much I like this, how much this album meant to me. Because yeah. to me, when you do an independent record, it's like putting a message in a bottle. You throw it in the ocean. Maybe somebody finds it. Maybe somebody doesn't. I was just absolutely blown away. And for years, you never knew. Now there's this new way of, yeah. where, of people can get in touch with you and yes. let you know that they got the bottle. That they cared. Real quick, I do want to go over like some of the members that were in the band, the members that were the second phase of the band. We'll go to the first phase of the band. You're going to have to help me on this because there's just so many of them, so I'm trying to, I'll try to go through it all. 
But I, the, 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 you said the second phase is the one I have here. The second phase was dark on drums. Yes. Orlock was it one of the, it was playing guitars. He's actually in the third phase, the third era. Oh. Uh, the second phase of fell by the name of the Wraith. The oh. Wraith. The Wraith. Yes. So he was playing guitar. Yes. And then, of course, Larry the Wolf, you are the bass I'm the only constant. Always, yeah, yeah, no matter what, that's always the case. Now, you've had, like you said, you, you've mentioned Sean Vanek has played guitar with you. Yes. Throughout, and you've also had, now th- th- these are some of the names that I have here. You okay. tell me, Civil Disobedience is one of them? No. Name, or Arian was one of them? These are names that I, f- I found on there that was, these are the ex-guitar players, but these didn't sound like. No. I Actually, Civil Disobedience is, I think, a band. I that, know that's uh, what I said, but this wasn't what they said. And what about okay. Concussion? Were these bands that you played with or something else? No, or something? No. Okay. Now, Civil Disobedience sounds familiar to me because I want to say. That uh, was a band that was around it. Orlock, Tim Drail, uh, pseudonym Orlock, was a great guy. Um, I want to say that might have been his band, but I don't oh, know. Oh, that's I what know. I saw then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to cut that part the fuck out. Um, <laughs> my bad. Um, okay, Sean Vanek. So so what was the first lineup then when when, when, when the, very the first, EP came out? what was Who, who was that lineup? Well, the, ear, the earliest lineup is the hardcore. That's myself, uh, John Stainbrook, who had this club stain oh, you did say that a lot of people played you know played in his place in Toledo. Great guy. And then a fellow by the name of Tom Carson, who I, I did not keep in touch with. I've heard he's a fish, uh, a fashion photographer. Oh, I I don't know. That's what I've heard. I've lost touch with him forty some years ago. But okay. a very nice guy. Yeah. Um, and then the era that most people know of, uh, you know, then was the second era was much more well known. Was myself, the Wraith, and Dark. And then uh, there was the long hiatus um, when the, when uh, these these fans started contacting me. In 96, I started uh, in earnest uh, writing songs in 96, 97, 98. We recorded them, and then uh, I, I bumped in the dark. I asked him if he'd like to play again. He said absolutely. And Had uh, he been doing stuff up until that point? No. No he shit. Off, he he just off. came in cold, man. I said, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, he had gone off to uh, get his master's and uh, go to medical school. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we'd bump into each other every once in a while, but... Uh, I said, I'm going to do this. Uh, would you like to come back? And he, this time he said yes. And then uh, Tim Drail, who was, uh, he had been in the band with Ian Shipley. I forget the name of the band. And uh, Tim was a great guy. And I always knew that, and he had gone to see us at our last few shows. Um, and uh, I always felt like he'd be the guy I'd like to play with. I asked, I asked Tim, who became Warlock, and he came back, and that's the horrorcore era. That was to me. Then finally, I we had hit what I had envisioned uh, we should sound like. And uh, Dark, who could Dark was the guy that built. He's he's very talented with building shit. He can build anything. So he built the cages early oh, on. I was going to ask about and that. And then he built. I said, let's do something a whole relaunch and get rid of the fu- the fur and all that stuff. We'll get rid of the furry boots of the you know the eighties era and we'll update. So more of a. It was always more of an intention of going. I was very influenced by the movie The Road Warrior. Yeah, oh yeah, hell yeah. You know, the second Mad Max series with uh, that whole look. So you know we had flat jackets early on and that kind, of, and that was cool. But. In, the, in this third phase, this horrorcore phase, it was uh, much more dialed into how I think we should have all needed to look. Yeah, and, and production's really good on that album, too. It sounds oh, like it's a very, yeah, it's well it's well done. It's really good that album. Was, uh, that was uh, Mark Klein and uh, Don DePew from Breaker. Oh, really? Great, yeah. We recorded with, uh, with Don at 609, and then uh, Mark did the uh, mastering on it. 
Yeah, it Great sounds guys. real good. Oh, thank you very much. That's yeah, very kind of you. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool when I hear the story like that where you have a band who did a lot and kind of got to a point, and then you're kind of like, well, whatever happened to them? And then they got another shot at it. It's like they get back out there and, and, and you know, because you had a lot of time now to think about some things and be like how to right some of these wrongs or whatever and get things right. And then yep. when you get a second chance, now it's like, and at the end of the day, the story is, is that you're happy with it. And you're like, you know yeah. what? I got some conclusion here. I was able to do these things yes. that I really wanted to do. Now, coming to that point now, what what do you see? Is the are the animals pretty much? What do you, can you? I mean, you still wear the makeup really well. You come in here, you look great, dude. I mean, I, I man, you could do it. It's a mean, transformation, Brian. It really, yeah. the, this is just really who I look like. You know, it was never meant to be like Kiss, where you know they're great, but they you don't know who they look like. Yeah, this is just really just looks like me uh, with a little. Yeah, but it's cool, man. It just man. accentuates my. I love it. I love it, dude. It's well, so cool. Come here like this. Yeah, it just yeah, accentuates man. my own features. Uh, <laughs> I should say, and that's in that phase, that that horrorcore phase, and that was, that was of course this thing came out at that time. Oh yeah, horrorcore. This was these three guys, and uh, I I was very very happy with this because in, when we did the uh, Blood Is the Harvest EP, we had Sumer recording booked for one weekend, and we had to get those songs done. Uh, one song wasn't. It's, there's there's only one song on this whole anthology I don't sing because uh, I got held hostage that weekend about it. I want to sing one song. Okay, that's not the song, but I want to sing one. So- okay, <laughs> let's pacify this asshole. Let's sing. Let's do his one song. Shut him the fuck up. Okay, and it's a good song. It's a cool track, <laughs> but that's the shit that got, that happens. And, and, uh, <laughs> So I always, with the, the problem with Blood is the Harvest is every vocal on there I did is one take. And, and, and I'm proud of awesome, the record. Awesome, dude, yeah. I, mean, couldn't, I couldn't listen to that for years because all I heard was what was wrong on it and what oh, I yeah. didn't want to get done on it because we had one guy who wanted to fuck around too much about it. I sound this way. So just, you know, you know that's, that stuff makes me nuts. When we did Horrorcore, we took a lot of time with Don. Don's very methodical. And he, and he gets dialed into what he did. We spent a lot of time on that. So that was a much more uh, satisfying uh, yeah, record yeah. to put out because that lineup, myself, Dark, and, and Orlock, like, I was very pleased with those songs. And, uh, and I wanted to come back with a relaunch of like a whole new band. I didn't want to revisit and do be like a tribute to what had gone on in the 80s. Yeah, right, right. right. So we came out with a new stage that Dark built this whole uh, cemetery scene. We had these Ken Strick Fadden-esque uh, lightning towers that uh, Ken Strick fans, the guy from the uh, Universal Monster movies, like with the crackling no electrodes shit. and stuff. So we had those on stage. It was it was pretty cool, and um, and we had different outfits. And it, it, we came and we had new songs. A couple we played a few of the old ones, but it was about being a new band. It wasn't being about revisiting and being a, you know a, an oldies act yeah, 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 at yeah. that point. And then the uh, the the first show of that thing was this one here. This was the Cleveland Metal '99. Uh, I, I know Destructor was on that. I see Run Devil Run with Don was on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, it was a great show. We had a lot of fun, and that was like the big, the big relaunch of the band at that point. And then, and then, did you at that point everything? Were you looking to the future, like, oh, we're yes. going to go farther with this? And then it doesn't happen. Yes. Well, what happened was, uh, and for years I protected the integrity of whatever the band's image was. The reality was, we had we started playing. Uh, um, East Coast uh, horror conventions. I thought that was a great way, instead of going on tour and trying to finance and book shows and clubs all over, 
uh, it, I thought it would be a great thing to go play horror conventions where you get people. So we played Chiller Theater. We played a few in Cleveland. We played one in uh, in Crystal City, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. We played a couple in New Jersey. Chiller Theater is the granddaddy of all those. And you get people coming from multiple different states who could catch you in one show. It's like a Chiller Theater the one night. We're playing, and uh, uh, they would do like a, a who's who. They'd have like one or two bands, and it, and it was everybody. So, you, you know, you look over and you see uh, the guy Jaws from the James Bond movie. Then there's Carolyn Monroe there. Then Jeff Conaway's there. Then Tracy Lords is there. Then the guy from The Sopranos. It was just these weird pop culture things, but a lot of people like music. So we played one show, and uh, we get done, and uh, Ray Manzarek from The Doors is there. And so he gets up, and... And the uh, guy says, uh, can uh, Mr. Manzarek use your drummer's throne to play? Oh, yeah, of course, dude. So it's just, you know, weird stuff. Then Sandy West and uh, Sherry Curry from the, uh, the Runaways play a few songs. It was just, it was a fun thing. We met a lot of cool people, and it was allowed us to uh, kind of hit multiple states, yeah. fan bases, without actually having to tour. So we did that for a while. And um, unfortunately, what happened was uh, when we first returned, one of the members was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh. And he fought through that. Um, but then he continued to have um, multiple surgeries for neck problems, back problems. Uh, then the other member had open heart surgery. So we had all the, in fact, there was one show we were supposed to play at the Odeon. It was a Brave Words Bloody Knuckles uh, showcase there. Uh, and um, I ended up just doing a song with Breaker because we couldn't play it because uh, one of the guys was being worked on. Unfortunately, at that time, there were a lot of opportunities that I turned down, and you're, you're talking about we had some momentum coming out of horrorcore. So you're talking about 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, then all of a sudden, uh, guys start getting sick on me. And, um, and that, that's life. Yeah. So my choice at that time is do I stay loyal with these guys um, and just – skip opportunities yeah. or do I just put band first over everything? And, uh, and more, more than a few people said to me who were booking things and offered us, I said, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're killing your momentum right now. I made a choice to be loyal to the people who had, had worked with me. That was it. That was it. That's that was pretty, the choice that, I made. That, that's pretty cool, man. You got a lot of integrity, dude. I mean, like you all, all through your old story, you stay true to yourself and that's, that's the most impressive part. I try to treat people well. I try to treat people as I'd like to be treated. Yeah. Everybody determines how I treat them. I treat them like gold until they give me reason not to. Yeah, right. Well, that's that, that's I, a good I philosophy mean, to live by. And uh, you know, so at that point, it was it was important to me whether it was good, whether it was a good uh, career move because it wasn't going to be my career. Was it a good move for the for the band at that point? No, of course not. But I had to look in the mirror. Everything comes to an end at some point, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Larry, we're out of time. You got to be kidding. No, I mean, this was the fastest interview. For, oh, I, my I, God. For we made, missed so we're much. Out, we're out of time, dude. I got to mention two people. Go ahead. For the anthology that came out, I got to mention two people. Sean Vanek, who plays in Midnight, great band. Sean kept after me for 10 years. Let's get this thing knocked out, dude. Let's get this thing knocked out, dude. He played the last few shows with us. We played Walken uh, in Germany. It was our last show. No shit. Sean was there, played with us. Great show. Great guy. And the other guy was Argyle Goolsby in the band Blitzkid. He did the graphics for me. Great guy. Those two guys helped me get that across the finish line and put like a final chapter. But I don't know if it is the final chapter. You never know. Sweet. 
Thank you so much again, man. My pleasure. Brian, I had a great time with Hell you today. Yeah, dude. I had a great time you with you. You made my job so Pat, easy. thank you. You made my job so easy. I think I said seven words. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it from us, Larry the Wolf. And Pat, we're all done here. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. This has been Level Up Cleveland. There's a new episode every week. Available now on all streaming services. You can catch every episode of Level Up Cleveland on YouTube. Till next week, rock on. be fine.